Now, I'd like us to think again about verse 1 this morning, which I will read. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But if you also want to have your finger, at least for part of the time, in Psalm 115, I also want verse 16 of that psalm to be in our minds this morning. Uh, We read these words. In fact, you read these words back to me a few minutes ago. Psalm 115 and verse 16, which says, The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. And what are we doing? Well, we are continuing to look at the great subject of foundations. Any building, if you want it to stand must rest upon a secure foundation. If it's not on a secure foundation, it will crack, it will crumble, it will fall. And we are bound to ask today, what is the state of the world? What is the state of our society? And I will even ask you, what is the state of your own life? Are you building on a secure foundation? We are living in times when the foundations that have stood for centuries and millennia are being questioned, queried, mocked, changed if it were possible to change them. And so we need to pay particular attention to this whole matter of the right foundations. And we build our foundations or we go back to the foundations by going right back to the beginning. And to this first verse in Genesis chapter 1. Last week, we looked in the morning at the first four words. In the beginning, God. But we also said this. It is very difficult, if not impossible, to think about God without thinking about his creation. Why is that? Well, here's the answer. We are God's creation. We are God's creatures. We can only view God from the vantage point of being his created beings. So let's look at this great subject of God creating this morning and what God created. And I have three points, and they're very simple. They basically cover what this verse tells us. Number one, we look at God the creator. Number two, we look at God as the creator of the heavens. And then thirdly, number three, we look at God as the creator of the earth. Now let's begin at the beginning. God the creator. What does that mean? Think about it. It may seem very simple to you. You might say it's obvious to me. Maybe it is. But let's state obvious things in such a time as this. God is the creator, which means that God brought everything into being by his own will and his own power. That is, God brought everything into existence that there is apart from himself. Only God the creator is uncreated. Everything else that exists has been made by God. 
And let me make these additional important points this morning that we need to take on board. First of all, when we say God is creator, we mean that God is distinct from. God is different from his creation. God is not a part of his creation, and the creation is not a part of God. Now, to say that the creation, the heavens, the earth, and everything in them is God, is part of God, or is divine, that view is called pantheism, which basically means everything is God. So, the earth is God, uh, the heavens are God, the trees are divine, the sea is some way part of God. Now, that is the view of Eastern religions, like Buddhism. That is a large part of what's been going around now and has been called New Age mysticism. But it ain't what the Bible teaches, right? There is this most important creation, sorry, creator-creature distinction. The creator and the creation are different. And then secondly, God is eternal, but his creation is not eternal. Creation had a definite beginning when God began to create. What we might call matter, material, stuff, and energy, atoms, molecules, all the rest of it, they came into being when God said, let there be. They weren't there before. And it follows from this, and this is most important, God created everything from nothing. There was nothing but God, and then God decided to create, and then something, everything, came into being. God did not get to work on material that was there for him to work on beforehand, like a, like a craftsman in a workshop with his wood and his metal and his raw materials. There were no raw materials when God began to create. Now, you and I are not like that. When we make something, if we are building something, modeling something, drawing something, painting something, building something, we use the raw materials. We are different to God. God himself created every raw material. Even when we compose songs or poetry, we are using pre-existing material in our own minds. It's there before we start creating, isn't it, if you think about it? But with God, there was nothing And he said, let there be something. And there was something. And then a third point to make. We must emphasize that creation was a good, wise, and deliberate action of God. It didn't just happen by some random chance. God chose to create... 
rather than choosing not to create. There is something rather than nothing. Right? Look around you. Go outside in an hour's time, whenever it might be, and look around you and look at the beauty of a day like this. Look at each other's faces and say, all these people, all these things are here because God intended it to be that way. He chose to make a universe. He chose to make a world. He chose to make people like me and you to live in this world. Because our God is the master designer. Our God is the master craftsman. When we look at the universe in all of its beauty and diversity, we see that creative mind and glory of our God. And that leads us to another question. So why did God create? What moved God to create something rather than nothing? Well, the best answer we might find is really in the uh, words that we sang a little earlier on in this service, taken from Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11, where we have a picture of 24 elders who really stand for the whole worshipping church, the people of God. And there they are, surrounding God's throne, and they are singing or chanting these words. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. God chose to create for his own glory. Now what does that mean? It means that God made everything so that everything might, as it were, shout back to God and say, God, you are very great. God, you are glorious. God, you are majestic. God, you are big. You are beautiful. You are the greatest thing there can ever be because you are creator. And everything else has been made by you and for you. God would be great even if he had never created, but we really can't say that because God has created. And it's a bit like going into an echo chamber or the whispering gallery in St. Paul's Cathedral. If you say something there, you whisper a word like, God is great, God is great. That whispered utterance will be heard at the other side of that dome and it it will reverberate, it will amplify Round and round that auditorium. That's what creation is for, my friends. That's why God made everything. So that the statement, God is great, might be amplified, multiplied, magnified throughout the whole universe to the praise of God. Or you imagine some light beam that hits some kind of kaleidoscopic light panel. I kind of know what I'm talking about, maybe I don't, but you imagine some amazing glass light panel, along comes a light beam, and then the light beam is scattered, intensified, separated into all sorts of colors and brightnesses, all all around the sphere, as it were, in every direction, streaming out across the universe. 
That's why God created. So that the message, God is great, God is great, God is great, might be echoed and shouted out by everything and everyone across the whole universe. That's why God created. For you, this morning, to come here to Grove Chapel and to stand where you are and to sing, Worthy, O oh, worthy are you, Lord, to be thanked and praised and worshipped and adored. We didn't sing that one, did we? We sang one a bit like it. Thou art worthy, thou art worthy, thou art worthy, O oh, Lord, to receive glory and honor, glory and honor and power. We worship the Creator God. He made you and me to worship Him and say, God, you are very great. But let's go on. Because what did God create? Well, my next point is that God is the creator of the heavens. And if you look with me at verse 1 of Genesis 1, you will see that there is an immediate division of what God created into two things. The heavens and the earth. They are distinguished from each other. And that's most important. It's the same thing that we find, don't we, in Psalm 115, which we also read. Indeed, we could look at verse 15 of that psalm, which says, May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. And then it says in, in verse 16, The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. There's heavens and there's earth. Now this is foundational. What is there? What has God made? What exists? What is this something that exists, right? What is it? What's the most basic summary of what God has made? It's the heavens and the earth. You need them both. They're both there. They're both there in the very first verse of the Bible, right? I have to tell you that John Lennon was wrong, wasn't he? Imagine there's no heaven. I won't sing it. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. That became the anthem of a whole generation, didn't it? For the last half century or so, throughout vast parts of the Western world, that's been the anthem, the worldview, the understanding of what there is. There's nothing above us. There's no heaven. There's no hell either. There's just the earth and the people. Living together. No religion. No war. A brotherhood of man. Imagine all the people living life in peace. But that's not what God created. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What are the heavens? Now stop and think for a minute. 
Where are the heavens? If you've got an index finger, point to the heavens, please, right now. Okay, yeah, I'm looking around. Up, up. That's where the heavens are. Up. Above us. And you and I can't easily travel upwards, can we? And when the Bible was written, and for 19 centuries after the Bible was written, really nobody could travel upwards at all apart from going up the steps or climbing a building or going up a mountain. And even now we've got to use some kind of aircraft or something similar to get up. We can't get up by ourselves. We can go other ways. I can go backwards. I can go forwards. I can walk left. Can you still hear me? I can walk right. We can move in two dimensions very, very freely, can't we? But will I try and walk up to the ceiling from where I am now? I can't do it. Because up is restricted. I am an earthbound creature and so are you. The fact of gravity reminds us that we are creatures. We have been created. But when we look up, we look up to a different realm. The Lord's heavens. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, right? He can go up. He is up. But we are down with our feet on solid ground. Until, I suppose, the first hot air balloons at the end of the 18th century. The only things you could see if you looked up into the sky were things that God had made. Since then, we've had hot air balloons, we've had aircraft, we've had satellites and other bits and pieces that float through the sky. Like what's floating through the sky right now, only it's floating rather noisily. You can hear it if you listen carefully. But the heavens are the Lord's heavens. Now, I don't want to keep you for too long. But when we come to the Bible, we see that there are three ways in which the Bible speaks of the heavens. Indeed, there are three heavens. Notice in verse 1 it says, God created the heavens, plural. What are these heavens? Well, the first heaven is what we might call the atmosphere. It's the heaven where the birds of heaven, as the Bible calls them, fly. It's the heaven that contains the clouds, the rain, the snow, the hail, the wind, the thunder and the lightning, and all these things of meteorology, the atmosphere, the air, the weather. That is the first heaven. Okay? And then there is a second heaven. And that second heaven is what we might call Space or outer space. It's really referred to in verses 14 onwards. It's where the sun, moon, and stars move in their courses above. The second heaven are the heavens which declare the glory of God. And they fill our minds with wonder when we look at them. When we see the sun in its brilliance, when we see From the countryside, a beautiful moonlit or a starlit night, we look up and we see the second heavens. But then there is the third heaven. Now, what's that? Well, the Apostle Paul 
talks about the third heaven only once. You remember 2 Corinthians 12 verse 2? He says that I know a man who was taken to the third heaven. He appears to mean himself. And he, saw, he sees things that no man can declare. Well, what, what does that mean? What is this third heaven? It is a realm which is invisible to us. It is beyond our physical detection. No earthbound telescope, no space telescope can find the third heaven. What is the third heaven? It is the dwelling place of God himself and the created angels who wait on him. A realm, a sphere that the Bible abundantly declares exists. The third heaven, or what Solomon calls in his great prayer at the dedication of the temple, the highest heaven. He says, Lord, the heavens, even the highest heaven cannot contain you. There's a thought. Even this heaven that our eyes can't see on the most clear, dark night. Even that heaven where the angels move and minister and appear before God, even that is far too small to contain our Creator God. Now, what am I trying to say to you this morning? When you and I lift our eyes heavenwards, we see the birds, we see the clouds, we see the sky, we see the sun, we see the moon, we see the stars. But we are also looking up towards the dwelling place of God himself. Now you may say, well, where is it then? Where is it? Point to it. Is it there, there, there? Is it somewhere above New Zealand right now? Is it actually right down there? Where is heaven? Can we find it on a star atlas? No, we can't. It doesn't work quite like that. It is beyond our human ability to trace its location because we are just creatures. And our God is transcendently great. Do you know what I mean by that? Transcendently great. He, he goes beyond our understanding. We can't put him in a box. It's like trying to exp explain what sight is to somebody who has never ever seen, who's been born blind. You talk about sight. They can't understand what sight is. They've got no concept of the meaning of sight. It's meaningless to them. Or imagine a creature that can only move in two dimensions, has no concept of height or depth, just goes forwards and backwards and left and right, has no idea that there is a third dimension. What do you mean a third dimension? I don't get it, they say. Up, down, what does that mean? Our God is greater than we are. He moves far above us. And yet... He makes himself known to us, doesn't he? Supremely in his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. But understand this this morning. This is what I was saying last Sunday. When we look up to heaven, we need to humble ourselves. We need to remind ourselves of the greatness, the transcendence, the glory of God himself. This should make us fear God and have that right sense 
by which we say, Oh Lord, you are so very great. You're far greater. You're beyond my narrow, puny experience and ability to understand. You belong to a realm that I do not, cannot fully or even partially comprehend. The heavens, the highest heavens, are the Lord's heavens. But the earth he has given to the children of man. All right. Let's think about the earth, shall we? As we come towards an end. God is the creator of the earth. And we hear a lot about the earth, don't we? And so we should. Because the earth matters. But there are two mistakes that we can make when we think about the earth. One of them is to make too much of the earth, and the other of them is to make too little of the earth. And the trouble is that many people today are, be- are making both these mistakes at the same time, which sounds a bit inconsistent, but it's true. We can make too much of the earth, we can make too little of the earth. How do people make too much of the earth? Well, I'll explain. The philosophy, or the religion perhaps, which underlies a good deal of the modern environmentalist movement is a view of the earth which sees the earth as a god or perhaps a goddess. You understand what I'm talking about? You hear of people referring to Mother Earth. Mother Earth. This is Mother Earth. This is the Earth that gave us birth. This is the Earth that gives rise to her offspring, to her children. We need to, we need to revere the Earth. We need to almost worship the Earth. And then you have, alongside this, the related so-called Gaia hypothesis. You may have heard of the Gaia hypothesis. Maybe you haven't. Well, it comes from the Greek goddess Gaia, uh, the goddess of the earth. And it's the idea that the earth is a living, spiritual being. And in this way of thinking, all sorts of New Age spirituality has emerged. The worship of the earth. Or shall we say this, the idea that there is really nothing bigger in all, in all the universe than, than the earth. There's just the earth. And we're really back to John Lennon again, aren't we? There's there's no heaven and there's no God. There's really just the earth. And there's the circle of life of uh, of the Lion King. And and there's uh, the worship of the ecosystems of the earth. And many environmentalist groups will really be very much into that sort of philosophy. That we worship the earth. But what is this? It's just sheer pagan idolatry. It's the old pantheism dressed up in modern clothes. This idea is completely different to what the Bible says about the earth. The earth is created. It's not a creator. The earth is not a god. The earth is the good creation of a one God who is distinct from the earth. 
Let us beware of not making more of the earth than we should as Christian people. But then there is a way in which people make too little of the earth. Now, what do I mean? Well, I mean much modern science, Brian Cox and others like him, will do this. And I must say, you know, you look at these photographs and these moving images of the planets, of the stars, of the galaxies, and they are wonderful. Modern technology and photography is something we should be grateful for. We can peer into the farthest reaches of the solar system and indeed beyond that. But what does modern science say about our Earth? It says... We're just a very ordinary planet. Nothing special. And we are revolving around a very ordinary star, a very average star that we call the sun. And our sun is a very average star moving around a very average galaxy that we call the Milky Way. Every 226 million years or thereabout, it makes one complete rotation of the Milky Way and so forth. The Earth is just a of dust. That's all it is. And what do you do with specks of dust? You hoover them up and you throw them in the bin and you don't even bother recycling them, do you? They're nothing. Just a speck of dust. Well, the earth is that. That's what we are led to believe by modern astronomy and cosmology. The earth is just material, it's just dust, it's vulnerable, it's expendable. It's on the way to inevitable incineration and destruction. Whether that's as a result of global warming that our generation are bringing about now in the 21st century, or whether indeed it's because one day in millions or billions of years our sun will swell into a vast red giant star, and consume all the inner planets of the solar system. Now, that is modern astronomy, modern cosmology. The Earth is just a speck. But the Bible says otherwise. And I need to ask you this morning, where do you get your worldview from? Do you swallow unthinkingly Everything that may be said in the media, in the news, or by your friends at school or your colleagues at work, I'm not saying you shouldn't listen to them, but I'm saying this. Where do you get your worldview and your understanding from? Do you get it from the fluctuating views of society? Or do you get it from the unchanging word of God? And what do we see here in Psalm 115 and verse 16? The earth... God has given to the children of man. It's his gift. And God gives good gifts. Not cheap tat. Not dust. Not expendable material destined for incineration in only a few years' time. God gave his people A world to live in. We don't live on a mere planet. We live in a world that is fit for kings and queens. It was made that way. It was made to be a paradise for us. I know. 
that it is now a fallen world. We'll come to that another time. But we have been made, we have been given this earth. Precious, unique, our home, created and designed especially for human beings to live in, to enjoy, to care for, yes, to care for. A world made for us by God so that we might worship him and walk out of this building and say, look at the sky, praise be to God. Look at the sun, praise be to God. Look at the trees, look at the blossom, look at the flowers. Look at one another and look at what we have made with our own ingenuity that God has given us. Praise be to God. Praise be to God for everything he has made. Praise be to God for the earth in which we live. The earth is precious, but the earth is not divine. We have a tendency, all of us, don't we, to just go to extremes. We're like pendulums. We swing from one to the other. We find it very hard to get it right, to stay where we should be. We go one way or the other, and we, 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 we mustn't say that the earth is Mother Earth, Goddess, Gaia, worship the earth mustn't do that. Neither must we say, oh, the earth is just a speck of dust. That's wrong as well. We worship God who gave us the earth. We must also insist this on, on this as well, contrary to what we hear from so many on nature programs. Our human race is no intruder on this earth. Mankind is no unwelcome and recent invader whose arrival on planet Earth has upset the long-established and delicate, uh, delicately balanced ecosystem. That's not Christian to say that. That is sub-Christian. That is to make a god or a goddess out of the Earth. It is to deny that mankind is made in the image of God and that we've been given the earth to live on. We must hold to Scripture. That's what we're doing. The foundations we're trying to build must be biblical foundations or we go astray, we get lost. This is our home. Let me say this, lest you misunderstand me. I am not saying that serious environmental scientists have nothing worthwhile to say to us. We must be alert to the danger of being merely reactionary. I am saying that we should listen and weigh carefully and responsibly what scientists say about subjects like global warming, climate change, polar caps shrinking in size, the pollution of the earth through plastics in the seas and things of that kind. We must say with the Bible in our hands, and we'll come to this another time, that we are put on this earth to be good stewards of the world. That's a biblical truth. But we must not unthinkingly jump on some ever-growing bandwagon 
and just say, well, we'll all just throw our lot in with every climate change protester there is because they are the ones who have all the uh, attention now. These are the people who know. We need to just join with them, and this is the big, big issue of the day. No, it's not the big issue of the day. The big issue of the day is always this, that the human race is estranged from God and far from God and condemned in sin and needs to return to God through Jesus Christ alone. That is always the biggest issue of the day, that the Bible is the word of God and we pay attention to what he says. So, the heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. When you look up to the sky, remember these words. Remember the Lord who is above us, far greater than us. The Lord of sea and sky. Remember this when you look around the earth and you do your work here on the earth, that you are here on the earth that God has given you as a precious and unique gift and home for you. And I'll finish by saying this. Our Lord Jesus Christ said after his resurrection, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. He is the possessor of heaven and earth. He exercises all authority. How can we know how to understand the heavens or live on the earth unless we know the one who owns heaven and earth as its Lord and Savior and King and Creator, Jesus Christ himself, the same Savior who is going to come back one day, which the Bible surely teaches And on that day there will be a new heavens, a new earth, in which the righteousness of God dwells forever and forever. We need to understand our times, as we heard on Wednesday night, understand the creation we live in. It's been made by God. It is not a God itself. It's not permanent Heaven and earth will pass away, but the words of the Creator and the Creator Himself will never pass away. Make sure that you are trusting in Him, united to Him, following Him, listening to Him, to Jesus Christ, Lord of heaven, Lord of earth, our Savior. Let's pray together.